Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this good morning, for good songs and the opportunity for us to be together. Father, we thank you that Sundays have become to mean so much to us. We value them. We look forward to them. They are a priority in our week, even a priority in our weekend. And so we're here this morning, Father, to worship you. Father, we pray that our worship of you and our looking to you and even our faith in you would come from the truth and accuracy of your holy word. We pray your blessing upon it now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn the Bible to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. If you didn't bring a Bible, then you can grab uh, the Pew Bible. Those are the black Bibles there. It's page 930. We're going to look at Mark chapter 10. We're finally finished with Mark chapter 9. I think we were in it for a long time, 8 and 9, and now we're finished and we're into chapter 10. And it doesn't really change gears too much. We're going to keep going on on this issue of discipleship and what it really means to be a follower of Christ. So we're at Mark chapter 10, and I'm, I'm fully aware that Louisville tips today at 1210. So if we can get focused, we can roll through this thing and do both, right? We certainly don't want March Madness to be more important than worship and the preaching of the Word of God. I don't know why it couldn't have started a little bit later. But this is what we got to live with, okay? Mark chapter 10. When I was in high school, the pool I used to go and swim at had a ping pong table. And I got into playing ping pong. By the time I was a freshman in college, I was asking for new paddles for birthday and Christmas. And I got myself a ping pong paddle. And I got to where I played ping pong all the time. And so one of these days, I got invited to play in some tournaments. And I enjoyed that. So I went searching online for some ping pong clubs and I found some I thought I was pretty good I had my own paddle that sort of thing and I went to a ping pong club in Charlotte North Carolina at some YMCA and I don't know if you've ever been to a ping pong club before I'm gonna probably bet I'm the only person that's ever been to one but I learned real quickly And just because you can play a little bit of ping pong at the local pool, it doesn't mean you're ready for a ping pong club. I didn't know how to serve properly, didn't know how to keep score properly, didn't know the rules properly, and I left that night very frustrated, and I've never attended a ping pong club ever again. (laughs) And that's all honesty. It, it, It was not enjoyable to me because of how much I didn't know or understand or get right about table tennis. Rules, strokes, serves, scorekeeping. Didn't have any of it right. The games that we play here, for the most part, we don't have it right. And it's a big step to go from something comical to something weighty. But in many, many ways, folks, we don't have marriage right. And we keep treating marriage like I would treat ping pong. I'll go about it this way or that way with these rules or those rules without ever actually looking to the rules that the one who made marriage 
the rules he's given us. And as we do at our church, we just walk through the Bible. And here we are at chapter 10, and Jesus is teaching on marriage and divorce and remarriage. So today's heavy. And I pray that we would be submitted to the Word of God. And that you and I would be able to say, God knows what he's talking about. That we would want to have this big, beautiful picture of what marriage is. Read with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 10. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again and, as, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. It goes without saying that Jesus' teaching on divorce is quite a bit different and heavier than the general person thinks of it. And if Christ is to be our Lord and God is to be our Father, then we want to understand it the way he would have us, that it is for our good. Today I want us to walk through this passage And upon walking through it, I want to give a good broad overview of all that the Bible says about marriage and then just allow God to work in our hearts. Jesus was on the go. You know this. Mark has been loaded with Jesus over the last few chapters talking about the big heavy stuff. Multiple times already, Jesus has told them he must suffer and be rejected and die. If you look at chapter 9, verse 31, that's what he talks about. Or Sorry, if you look at chapter 8, verse 31, that's what he's talking about. If you look at chapter 9, verse 30, that's what he's talking about. If you look at chapter 10, verse 32, that's what he's talking about. He is telling them that he must die. For Jesus dying on the cross is the main event that defines all of what Christianity is. God came to die for our sins. And if that's true, listen to me, and you believe that, then how you deal and respond and react and think and view your sins speaks to how you view Christ dying for your sins. If God died for our sins, then how we handle our sinfulness speaks to what we think about that, right? If he died for our sins, and we don't care about our sins, and we still go on sinning willingly, then we don't really think he died for our sins. 
if he died for our sins and we are convicted of our sins and we are going to him saying, Father, forgive me of my sins, then we understand how important it is that Jesus died for our sins. Well, through all of this in Mark, Jesus, on teaching the big main things, is now explaining discipleship, which, which, which means to follow him. So if you're going to believe that he's your savior, then you're constantly looking to him with, well, what does it look like here? And what does it look like here? And how do I do this? And how do I do that? What does it mean to be a Christian? The good questions that followers of Christ are always asking, like you are. The reason why you're here each Sunday is to further understand what it means to be a Christian. And that's what's going on. And you remember the end of chapter 9, what I just preached on last week, was this big explanation on the seriousness of sin. If your hand causes you to sin, cut your hand off. It'd be, rather for you to, it'd be better for you to go to heaven without a hand than it would for you to go to hell with two hands, he says. He says the same thing about a foot. He says the same thing about an eye. For life and death and heaven or hell are dependent upon our trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Sins without forgiveness brings the judgment of God. That's what he's talking about. That's Christianity. That's discipleship. And we get here to chapter 10, right in the midst of all of that, and he brings up divorce and remarriage. I had somebody ask me this week, like, Josh, why in the world? I mean, right? He's been talking about following him, and all of a sudden he brings up marriage. What's that all about? To which I kind of shook my head. That's at the very center of it, isn't it? I dare say for the majority of us, the best thing, the worst thing, the thing we think about the most, the thing that brings the most questions to our Christianity, the thing that brings the biggest hurdles to a church are our marriages. So what better to talk about? Jesus in chapter 10 is digging into what it really means to be a Christian. 1 through 12 here is about divorce and remarriage. But keep going. 13 through 16 is about what? Children. But keep going. Look what's next. Verse 17. The rich young ruler. Everybody knows that story, right? It's about worldliness. It's about possessions. It's about wealth. The question is, how do I go to heaven with my wealth? And Jesus talks to him about that. So right here in chapter 10, in the midst of a discipleship conversation, you've got marriage, you've got parenting, you've got children, you've got family, you've got wealth, you've got possessions. These are all the big things. These are all the big things. These are the things that you and I are constantly dealing with in our lives. And we're trying to bring the lordship of Jesus into it. So he was traveling, he was on the go, and he taught them as was his custom. You know that Jesus is an outstanding teacher. Jesus is the one who taught like no one else ever could. Jesus is the one who taught in such a way that people were astonished. Jesus is the one that we must learn from. In the Great Commission, the final words are, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Those are Jesus' words. You might say that our whole existence is to be brought under the teaching of God. 
that our whole understanding is to be informed from the teaching of God. And so Jesus is teaching. Verse 2, the Pharisees came up in order to test him. I want you to see that. Does everybody see that? They're wanting to test him. They are a challenging people, a deceptive, sneaky people. Their hope is that they would find him in the wrong. They would get him trapped. They would get him in position to where he would have to say something that benefited them and say something that discredited himself or discredited the word of God. That's what they were wanting. They were a testy people. They were sneaky. They were sneaky. But let me say something to you first. You may really, really, really want for somebody that you don't like or that's better than you or greater than you. or You may like to see them fall. You may like to see them fail. You may hope the bad guy trips and loses. But Jesus is not the bad guy. Jesus is our God. God is a good, good father, as we just sang. If you're wanting to test him and mess him up, you're in the wrong. If you're wanting to get this passage changed so that it benefits you, you're in the wrong. If you're wanting his teaching about some issue to benefit you in your wrong understanding, you're in the wrong. It is a bad idea to try to test God. Many have tried. None have succeeded. They ask this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? That's a loaded question, right? That's a loaded question. Is it lawful for somebody to get a divorce? There's no way that can be answered with a a yes or a no. Uh, I taught the men in the men's Bible study a few weeks ago. I said, anytime somebody asks a question in the Bible, our first answer is, well, it depends. And that's right about the most of the time. Somebody asks you a question about the Bible, you come back with, well, it depends on what you're talking about. Depends on the situation. We need to understand it and understand the context before we can answer it. And they've come here with this loaded question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus answers with the way that I hope you've learned to answer. Moms and dads and grandparents, this is how you ought to answer. His answer is, well, what does the Bible say? His answer is, well, what does God say about that? His answer is, what did Moses command you? You know, Moses wrote the Ten Commandments or wrote the the law, the first five books of the Bible, in which God gave Moses the Ten Commandments there in in Exodus chapter 20 on Mount Sinai. So, So Jesus says, what did Moses command you? It's an awesome answer from Jesus. They say they're trying to test him. Are people allowed to get divorced? And Jesus says, well, what does God say about that? Folks, that's where we need to look for everything. It It really is. I don't want to oversimplify it. I don't want you to make I don't want to make it sound like it's easy in life, but whatever it is that you're struggling with, look to God. I'm serious. Look to God. In Proverbs 18 yesterday, as I was reading Proverbs 18, I read a verse about somebody that isolates themselves. Proverbs 18:1. Do you know how many people in your worlds right now are struggling because they're lonely? They're isolated? Men, you hear your wives say they have no friends or nobody to talk to or nobody that understands them or nobody that cares. We're we're isolated. God speaks to that. God speaks to our financial trouble. God speaks to our laziness. God speaks to our anger. We need to start looking to God. 
When I was in college, I had to write a senior seminar paper, like the biggest paper that we write. I wrote mine on, um, can't remember. Uh, my, 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 uh, <laughs> I really can't right now, sorry. Uh, but I remember asking my buddy in class, what, uh, what are you writing on? And he said, I'm writing on the stars. And this was like in a Christian theology degree. I said, the stars? And he said, yeah, man, the Bible's full of talking about stars. And I was like, what? And I thought to myself of like one passage where God mentions stars, where he takes Abraham outside and says, look at the stars. And that's all I could think about. And he's like, nah, man, the stars are here and the stars are there. And he starts quoting all these passages of scripture. He said, I'm writing my big senior seminar paper on God and the stars. I thought, wow. Folks, God talks about a lot of things. And if you're looking for wisdom in anything, look to God. These guys undoubtedly are having mis- uh, issues in their marriage. And so they're coming up with ways to see if they can move their problems to their benefit and their advantage. And so they come to test him. And Jesus' answer is, what did Moses command you? Verse 4, they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Moses allowed for that, he said. Now, they're referring to Deuteronomy 24, okay? If you can, turn to Deuteronomy 24 real quick. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible, 24. I want you all to see these things. Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. So they are familiar that God had taught on divorce. He does, he does there in Deuteronomy 24. And so Jesus says, what did Moses say? And, and they say that. And they basically say, Moses allowed for a man to write a certificate of divorce. But why? Why did God allow for that? Why did God allow for that? And this is where the rest of the day and the rest of this sermon and this message gets touchy. Look what Jesus says. He answers right back to that in verse 5. Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Folks, divorce, listen to me, divorce is always, always a result of sin. Divorce is not always sinful. There are times, and we're going to get there, where divorce would not be sinful. But divorce is always a result of somebody's sin. Somebody is not honoring the Lord in this situation that is now creating a situation where divorce may possibly, potentially be permissible. 
God didn't write in Deuteronomy 24 that people can get divorced just because that's an option if things don't work out. God wrote that as an option in Deuteronomy 24 as a way for things to perhaps be smoother or more peaceful after there has been sin in a marriage. If you love the Lord Jesus, you are to hate sin. Marriage is always, or sorry, divorce is always a result of sin. It is because of hardness of heart, somebody in the wrong, somebody not surrendered to God, somebody not obeying God, somebody not following God, it is because of a hardness of heart that God wrote you this commandment. So in other words, marriage doesn't come with a clause that says, uh, if this doesn't work out, here's divorce. When sin enters into a marriage, God has told us that divorce is there to help this bad situation. There's a big difference. Big difference. And then, Jesus begins to teach. And he does what all true Christians do. He does what the Lord of the church would do. He does what God does. Look what he does. He starts explaining the Word of God. Jesus begins to use the Bible to explain the Bible. Jesus begins to use the Word of God to clarify the Word of God. Jesus begins truth, begins to use truth as a, as a lens or a magnifying glass or as a light bulb to understanding truth. Look what he does. Verse 6, But from the beginning of creation... God made them male and female. He is speaking to Genesis, creation. In order for there to be families and marriages, in order for there to be sexual uh, intercourse and sexual pleasure and reproduction and more babies and everything else, there must be a male and a female. And this is the way it has always been in God's great plan. Verse 7. Therefore, so... Verse 6, he's quoting Genesis 1.27. Verse 7, he's quoting Genesis 2. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. It is the design that one moving toward marriage is coming out of a marriage, right? Notice that as one is moving into marriage, he is leaving a father and mother. Father and mother are integral to family. You can't get that wrong. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. God created marriage. The Bible is built upon this. Family is important to God. God created marriage. And God created marriage because it is wise and good for you to understand God. And yet in that, God created marriage to have purpose. There's a purpose behind a marriage. 
We are to understand God and the way God is through our marriages. We are to understand God and the way God is through the relationship that makes up the marriage. The love that flows through a marriage, listen to me, is to reflect the love that God has. We see this in the union, in the one flesh. We see this in the, in the commitment. We see this in the leaving uh, the father and the mother and the cleaving to the new spouse. We see this. But we see this perhaps most clearly when the New Testament explains the mystery of marriage as a picture of Jesus in the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, if you're taking notes, write it down. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, I am saying that this mystery is profound, but I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. That in a marriage, the way a husband is to love his wife is the way Jesus is to love his church. The relationship, listen to me, of Jesus and a church, that relationship is loaded with sinful scenarios, to which we all should be saying, amen, it is. I am a Christian, loved by God the Father, forgiven of all of my sins, washed in the power of the blood, but I am a sinner. I have a wicked heart, I have sinful actions, I stray, I am a sinner. And yet my relationship to God is built on the great love of God that so moves in me that it causes me to respond back. And yes, some of that responding back is, I love you back, God, you love me, I love you, you love me, I love you, and a nice little happy day. But the majority of it is that I'm a sinner loved by God. The church is truly a group of sinful people like you or me who don't completely have our act together that God loves and sent his son to die for us. And our response is that we love him back, but our response also is, God, would you please forgive me of my sins? God, I repent of my sins. Have mercy upon me. Forgive me of that. And in the midst of any marriage, there is to be a good, humble, sacrificial love that starts to make people better and understanding God because of the way God loves us. The question is a test. The question is about divorce. The question is trying to trick him because Deuteronomy mentions that divorce is possible. And Jesus takes them back to the way things are supposed to be. Jesus doesn't start with, okay, divorce is an option. Jesus starts with, you need to understand marriage. You need to understand God. You need to understand the way God made you, the way God made them, the way God designed this. You need to understand that. Marriage is a covenant under God, a demonstration to the world of what God is like. So many times, and for somebody to get married through us, we have to do premarital counseling. We want them to hear and understand all that God teaches about this. And one of the things that I say to them as they're preparing for marriage is I say this. Marriage is good. It's it's awesome. I'm I'm glad you're moving in that direction. I, I totally recommend marriage. I'm happily married to my wife. But I'll tell you this. Do not enter marriage lightly. Do not get married if you don't understand all that marriage is. Do not get married if you don't understand love and commitment and sacrifice. Do not understand marriage if you don't understand forgiveness. Y'all, marriage means something. 
It's not something that you do because a girl's caught your eye. It's not something that you do because you're sexually driven. It's not something that you do because it will help you financially. It's not something that you do because you need somebody to watch the kids. It, marriage means something. And we are to enter into marriage with this big, full understanding that it means something. And they, they're just trying to test Jesus. And Jesus takes them back to this kind of lesson on creation, lesson on Genesis, lesson on Adam and Eve, lesson on leaving your mother and your father. Jesus takes them back to the very source of it. For there, in understanding that, we can begin to talk about marriage. You ever talk to anybody that's gotten divorced? You ever start asking them some questions about it? And you quickly see how very much of it is missing the bigger points. And most of our conversations and our arguments and our excuses are, are, are meaningful and heavy to them, I understand. But they're skirting around the big depths of it. So Jesus takes them there and gives a big explanation about love and commitment. So what I'm saying to you all is that marriage is to be understood in light of God, his commitment, his covenant, and our relationship to him through Jesus. Do you realize that the Bible says that God loves you so much, it's at the end of Romans 8, that God loves you so much that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? That's what the Bible says. That nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And then the Bible tells us that Jesus is the the groom, and the church is the bride. See, what we see in God's love for us is a commitment that you can't get out of. God is faithful. And we're to understand that about marriage. And before we go entering into it lightly or making vows that we don't really intend to keep or don't understand how to keep, we need to understand what God and his vows and his commitment and his love for us is like. And so that's why Jesus takes them back there and in our passage here they don't answer back there is no response that's a lot to process folks we want to think about marriage the way God would have us think about marriage we want to understand marriage the way God has taught us to understand marriage and we want to believe even as we just sang God knows better than I do God is a good father and what he says to me is for my good. I can trust him at that. So, verse 10. Now they're in a house. The setting has changed. And the disciples have some follow-up questions. Kind of like you do right now. And they asked him again about this matter. We don't know what they asked. Mark is... Big about this. Jesus, Mark tells us that Jesus teaches a lot, but he never tells us what Jesus teaches. He just tells us the Q&A after his teaching. And that's what's happening here. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and here's his answer. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Mark doesn't say here 
what Matthew said, and that's why we read Matthew. Matthew added to it that in the divorce, sexual immorality is the grounds for the divorce. So let me start explaining some things. In the Bible, according to God, God regulates divorce. God permits it sometimes. You remember when I said, you remember when I said divorce is always a result of sin, but divorce is almost always sinful. It's not always sinful. Here's why. God gives two, and only two, reasons where divorce would be allowed. The first is adultery, when one partner has been unfaithful, and the other is abandonment, when one leaves. In those situations, now for clarity, you have Mark here, you have, Mark here, you have Luke 16 that talks about that, you have Matthew chapter 5 if y'all are taking notes, and you have Matthew chapter 19. Jesus doesn't mention the abandonment, but Paul does in 1 Corinthians 7. Okay? If, in a marriage, one person has committed adultery, the person who has been offended, been committed adultery against, that person, if they wanted to, could go get a divorce. Okay? Listen. The person that committed the adultery would be sinful to go and divorce. They'd be committing another sin. Which, in other words, they're far from God. You don't fix a sin by sinning. I think y'all know that. Two wrongs don't make a right. The person who stayed faithful, that person could go get a divorce. Now, in all situations... I think best would be reconciliation. And I bet many of you know somebody who has seen a marriage flawed and through struggles and immorality and adultery and things like that, and they have worked it out. Praise God for that. Sometimes it's possible, sometimes it's not. Sometimes people can can overcome it and sometimes they can't. But you remember when they came to Jesus and they asked that tough question, they say, Moses allows for divorce. And Jesus says, well, the reason why he allows for divorce is because there are hardened hearts, people doing something wrong. If a man is having an affair on his wife, she can stay and try to work it out and forgive him and stay committed to her vows. And we see that happen a lot. But The Bible also would allow her to go and get a divorce. She's the one who didn't sin. And she would go and get a divorce. Okay? The other one is abandonment. And the Bible says that any time that there would be true abandonment, it would have to be because the person is not a believer. The Bible says that an unbeliever would leave. And the Bible seems to say that if you're a believer, how, why could you abandon a marriage relationship if you are committed to what God says marriage is? So it assumes that one who would leave would be an unbeliever. I can't fathom that one would leave without legitimate reason. And I don't mean your legitimate reason, I mean God's legitimate reason. I cannot fathom. I cannot fathom that somebody in the position like I'm in as a husband 
would leave my wife and children and, 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 and try all they want to to justify it. So the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says that leaving abandonment would be a reason for somebody to get a divorce. It says, why would that person stay enslaved is the language that it uses. So if you're married, you're a woman, and your husband leaves you and he's gone, the Bible says that that person who is there left, who has not sinned, who has stayed faithful, that person could get a divorce. Now they could stay and wait for as long as they wanted to, hoping that they came back, praying and waiting and, and doing all of that, and they could, and hoping that there would be some restoration and reconciliation, but they also could then get a divorce because that person has left them. Okay? So, God regulates divorce. There are two ways, adultery and abandonment, where somebody who's not the one guilty of the sin, that person could get the divorce. And I think for the most part, y'all knew that. But here's where it gets much more serious. And I think Christians and churches have ignored this. Jesus speaks about remarriage. It's very heavy. If the divorce was not a good, right divorce or a proper divorce for the right reasons, then remarriage is sinful. I know there's a lot of remarried people here, and I don't know your story, so I'm not, I'm not at all trying to single out anybody. But the Bible says that if you remarry wrongly, that it's sinful. And you're further committing adultery. If you have an affair and marry the person you had the affair with, you're committing adultery again when you get married. You're causing the person you're marrying to, have, uh, to commit adultery. That's what he says. Look back to verse 11. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Folks, a lot of the remarriage that goes on in the world is sin. In other words, the Bible teaches that there may be a way out through, through, a, through a, a divorce under the right reasons, but that doesn't mean that you should automatically be able to get remarried. And the kind of common logic that you hear these days is, man, that was a bad episode. I know it was not right, and I'm, I'm sure. But it's all behind me now, and I want to start over afresh, and I'm going to try again. And that is not the way God says to do it. Now, there, there are times where it can be that way. Okay? Now, Jesus teaches, it seems, now this is, this is much harder to understand, that if and only if, the divorce was legitimate and the person who was not in the wrong, hear me, not in the wrong, that's the only person that can get remarried. Now, Some people would say that Jesus says even then they can't get remarried. That divorce would get them out of an unhealthy marriage, but the majority of people, but they couldn't remarry. But the majority of people would say, if they got out of the marriage the right way, they weren't the one sinning, then they could remarry. The one that was in their sin is not free to remarry. 
And any further step would be more sin. Look at Mark chapter 6. Turn back a few pages. Y'all may remember this. Y'all remember how John the Baptist died, right? That great man of God, the prophet, the coming of Elijah, had his head chopped off. Remember that? Do you remember why? Remember why John the Baptist had his head chopped off? Look at chapter 6, verse 17, uh, verse 16. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Verse 17, for it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. Do you see that? For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. That wasn't about divorce. That was about remarriage. Hey, that was in a family too. He married his brother's wife. And John said, you shouldn't have married her. It's sin for you to marry her. He divorced his wife and married somebody else, and it was sin. And John, kept, John the Baptist kept telling him that, so he chopped his head off and got rid of that. We need to listen to God on marriage, on divorce, and on remarriage. I want to read to you some of what J.C. Ryle says. The importance of the whole subject on which our Lord here pronounces judgment can hardly be overrated. We ought to be very thankful that we have so clear and full an exposition of his mind upon it. The marriage relation lies at the very root of the social, social system of nations. The public morality of a people and the private happiness of the families which compose a people are deeply involved, listen, in the whole question of the law of marriage. The experience of all nations confirms the wisdom of our Lord's decision in this passage in the most striking manner. In short, listen to this, the nearer a nation's laws about marriage approach to the law of Christ, the higher has the moral tone of that nation always proved to be. It becomes all those who are married or purpose marriage to ponder well the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ in this passage. Of all relations of life, none ought to be regarded with such reverence and none taken in hand so cautiously as the relation of a husband and a wife. In no relation is so much earthly happiness to be found, listen to this, if it be entered upon discreetly, advisedly, and in the fear of God. In none, listen to me, is so much misery seen to follow if it be taken in hand unadvisedly, lightly, wantonly, and without thought. From no step in life does so much benefit come to the soul if people marry in the Lord. But from none does the soul take so much harm if fancy or passion or any mere worldly motive is the only cause which produces the union. Marriage is a wonderful thing. But God has told us what marriage is. And if we're to be Christians then we are to take that, like everything else, under the lordship of Jesus. We are to look for him and we are to learn. In our experiences, and we'll be honest about this, 
the situations are so messy, it's a lot easier said than done, right? It's one thing to read a few verses here that Jesus says, and then it's another thing to go and look at a couple who's struggling and their marriage is falling apart and who are moving towards divorce. It's usually very messy. It's a spider web of all types of sin and deception and wrong and offenses and all that. And it's, it's difficult. I know that. And I know that the majority of mar- marriages these days end in divorce, unfortunately. More end in divorce than don't. But I want to say this. The marriage that trumps all marriages is the marriage of Jesus and his church. And for everywhere that you and I have failed in marriage, he hasn't. And for all of the ways that we've done wrong previously, he forgives. If you're here today and you came here today with some guilt Or perhaps Jesus' passage has brought some guilt or some conviction. I want you to know that God loves you. And Jesus' marriage doesn't fail. Jesus never leaves and never forsakes us. Jesus is faithful. He is the father and husband that keeps his word. Keeps his vows. Pulls through. But if we are to believe him, then we are to take all of our sins to him and say, God, forgive me. God, I was wrong. God, I erred. I did what I thought I should do, and that's not what you tell me I should do. I did what I thought would make me happy instead of what you tell me I should do. It was a great song choice again by Joe. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. They lose all their guilty stains. But listen to me. You only lose your guilty stains when you're in the blood of Christ. And you only get in the blood of Christ by faith. By trusting in Jesus. If there are sins that you don't want to take to Christ, if there are thoughts that you don't want to take to Christ, if there are seasons of your life that you don't want to take to Christ, if there are relationships that you don't want to take to Christ and be forgiven by Him, then there is no forgiveness. So may we as individuals and may we as a church humble ourselves before God And ask God to forgive us. And may we begin today wanting to move forward, trusting in Christ, repentant of our sins, and believing God on marriage. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you, God, for hard sayings. But I pray that you would teach us. Father, I pray that we would be a real church. That we would be real believers, we would humble ourselves before you, that we would confess our sins and trust in Christ. 
Father, thank you that all of our understanding of marriage can be supported, can be strengthened, can be built up and made better because of your great faithful marriage to your church where you love us. Father, I pray that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.